0: Hey folks, Coach Kevin here. Since Valentine's Day is less than a week away, I thought it would be appropriate to reach back into the podcast archives and bring you this classic Rewind episode. This episode first aired way back in May of 2021, and it was titled Diet for Great Sex with Christine Delosier. Now, I know many of you will be having a hot date night with your someone special next week, but did you know that the choices that you make during your date night dinner can have a big impact on what happens later that evening? Stick around, Christine is going to help us decide what we should and shouldn't eat to optimize our sex life. <laughs> Here's a question for you. Why do we eat? On the surface, it seems like a simple question. We eat because it's biologically necessary for our survival. But for us humans, it's a bit more complex than that. We eat for a number of reasons. We eat for social and emotional reasons, to celebrate big occasions, or as solace when we're depressed or anxious. Some of us have religious or ethical guidelines for eating. Many of you listening to this podcast eat to fuel your fitness goals. Powerlifters, bodybuilders, endurance athletes, and CrossFitters all eat in a prescribed manner to fuel their activity. Many of us eat in order to lose or gain weight. If you're at all interested in health and fitness, then you care about your nutrition and would like the way you eat to help you achieve your body composition or athletic goals. Or perhaps your goals aren't as ambitious. Maybe you just want to eat healthier in order to be healthier. Today, we're going to talk about another reason to eat, to optimize your sexual health. Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English, and I'm a certified personal trainer and nutrition coach. I created this podcast to explore themes and topics vital to healthy aging. Join me each week as we meet subject matter experts and inspirational men and women to discuss not just how to survive as we age, but how to thrive how to live our strongest, most vital lives into our 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond. My guest today is Christine Delosier. Christine is an acupuncturist and herbalist who specializes in sexual health. She holds master's degrees in acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine, and counseling, and she's a certified holistic nutrition counselor. She is the author of the book titled Diet for Great Sex, Food for Male and Female Sexual Health, which uses scientific evidence to uncover the best dietary habits for great sex, merging modern science with traditional Chinese medicine. I asked Christine where her journey of traditional Chinese medicine, nutrition, and sex began.
1: So it all started with the nutrition piece. I've always been obsessed with a natural way of living, nature. So I've always felt the best approach to health is first and foremost through the foods we eat and trying to stick as close as we can to what Mother Nature intended. Then later on came the Chinese medicine. The more I learned about Chinese medicine and acupuncture, the more blown away I was by how much it's able to accomplish in the body without the use of any pharmaceuticals or or anything that has the potential for more serious side effects, that sort of thing. So I... I went to school and I studied acupuncture, I went into private practice, and along the way in my, early in my practice, I chose to specialize in sexual health. So the way that came about, you know, most acupuncturists, we treat a lot of back pain, a lot of headaches, a lot of neck pain, that sort of thing, and one of my patients that I had been treating for back pain came in and just asked me if I could do anything to help him have stronger erections. And I said, you know what? Let's give it a whirl. It's not something I treat all the time, but it's something that you know I learned in, in acupuncture school. We certainly learned about sexual health, so we did that. And he had great results. He came back the next treatment, and he had reported to me that you know this has been something that's that had been an issue with him and his wife, and. After the treatment, they had a really great sexual experience. And then as as we continued to treat him, he got better and better results. He was really happy. And then I ended up having similar results with a few more patients that I treated. And I thought, you know, this is something that really has the potential to bring a lot of value to people's lives. And it's something that's really difficult to treat. So I decided to specialize in sexual health.
0: Okay, let me back up and pick some of that apart a little bit. You had mentioned that it was the food first—that was kind of your start on this journey. That you just always had this affinity for healthy food and optimal health uh, nutritionally. Where do you think that came from? I mean, was it was that something that your parents instilled into you, or where did that come from?
1: Okay, <laughs> my mom was a single mom. She was a single teenage mom, and she had to work like three or four jobs always to support us. So we grew up eating frozen dinners we grew up eating a lot of processed foods a lot of junk food a lot of stuff that we would you know from a can that sort of thing so no all of my whole childhood was spent actually building up plaque accumulation in my blood vessels <laughs> including those leading to the genitals which is definitely not what we want for great sex So no, that's not where I came from. I just have always loved nature. I I loved, I really cherished my time outdoors as a kid. And I don't know, I just had an affinity for nature. So that's kind of where my philosophy came from. And I'm a foodie. I love food. I love the aesthetic of food. I like taking pictures of it. I love cooking. And so it's just something I'm naturally motivated to do. I just like it. So You know, I do actually have a a background in science as well. I was trained to be a research scientist, and then I didn't actually pursue a career in it, but I did train. So I I know how to read, research, and I spent a lot of time trying to discover for my own knowledge, are there foods out there that will help people have better sex? You know, when I'm working with my patients, is there something that's supported by science to, to tell them to do so that it will support their treatment goals. So I, I always ask my patients what they eat and when I looked at the the medical literature, I found that the answer was absolutely yes. Food has a very, very strong impact on, on how we experience sex. You know, it influences how well our blood vessels are delivering blood flow to the genitals. It it affects how strongly and quickly our nerves are firing. And that equates directly to pleasure. You know, when when our partner touches us The better our nerves are functioning, the more pleasure we'll experience. And then thirdly, sex hormones. So food affects that whole entire trifecta of great sex, if you will.
0: Yeah, so you talk a lot about that holy trinity or that trifecta of great sex and that being hormone balance, nerve integrity, and vascular health, which you just briefly mentioned all three of those. I, I do want to deep dive into each of those, but before we go there... You wrote this book called Diet for Great Sex, and I think in your intro, you say, who should read this book? And you said, anyone who would like to have the best sex possible through the most natural means possible. And I think that probably encompasses all of my listening audience right now. So what gave you the inspiration to write this book?
1: It hadn't been done before. And... I've read a lot of great diet books. I've a lot of I, I do read a lot of great diet books. I'm really into that. I lot read a lot of science books, but I hadn't found something like this that actually laid everything out how our diet directly equates to what's a sexual function and what specific foods that actually have some substantial body of evidence to support it. So everything in my book is based in science. It's based on what the medical research and nutritional research says. So Yeah. So I thought it was exciting. I was really, I was like, Oh, this is cool. I have, nobody's written this. This is something that would be directly beneficial to my patients. Every every time I meet a patient, I always spend a lot of time telling them what they should eat. And this was a way for me to tell them what they should eat thoroughly. You know, I I can't possibly do this in an hour long session. You know, I I need a whole book to to do this. So, (laughs) so that's what I did.
0: Yeah. And I I suppose to your point there, you're right. This is a unique book. There's a lot of books on sex. There's a lot of books on nutrition. But to my knowledge, this is the only book certainly that I've read that combines the two. And as I was reading through this, it occurs to me very quickly that the diet principles or the nutritional principles that affect great sexual response are the same that would affect just holistic, healthy, active people, right? So let's dig into this a little bit. We all know that hormones, that's the most obvious one, right? Let's start there. We all know that hormones affect sex. That one's pretty obvious. Talk to us a little bit about hormones, what the sexual hormones are, and how diet affects hormone balance or imbalance.
1: Sure. So instead of thinking of it like, you know, we have our sex hormones and these are the ones that affect sex it's more like a symphony you know so you've got your testosterone we all know that's a player in libido and sexual function for males and females we've got our estrogen and again important for male and female sexual health but then there are you know numerous there are countless other hormones and they all interact in this carefully orchestrated symphony and when you throw one of them out of balance hormones are rarely out of balance in isolation it's usually many of them that are out of balance and again food very much affects this Uh, you take one dietary practice that's very common and that's eating a lot of processed sugar that wreaks havoc on our sex hormones it makes us what we call leptin resistant and that's a, a, a hormone that will later affect our sex hormones. It affects our sex hormones. It affects our overall hormones. And so it disrupts our sex hormones indirectly, if that makes sense. Other things as far as dietary practices that that disrupt our sex hormones is the the amount of fat we eat. And we eat way too much fat in our diets. And again, that disrupts our sex hormones. There are ways though that we can help Um, rebalance our sex hormones in, in the short term and in the long run, you know even just one thing for example leafy greens leafy greens are one of the best things you can eat for sex because not only do they have tons of minerals and vitamins that you know strengthen nerve conduction, improve vascular health, but they also actually directly reduce cortisol levels. Cortisol is a stress hormone and we're all under a lot of stress and cortisol in, it disrupts testosterone, so that's going to directly affect libido, it affects sexual function, it affects, you know, every aspect of sex.
0: And I, so to your point, you're talking about specifically leafy greens, and that's helping us to reduce our cortisol, and cortisol, if I'm not mistaken, is kind of a, it's a stress hormone, is that right? Associated with stress, it's associated with inflammation, these are all bad things, Right. And you had mentioned also, of course, things to avoid being high fat, high sugar, which unfortunately is a big part of the standard American diet. But aside from leafy greens, what are some other nutritional practices we can participate in to help balance that you had mentioned there's the short term as well as the long term to help bring our hormones
1: into balance? So um, for the long term, you know... (laughs) Do everything I say in the book for the long term. I mean, they, you know, kind of all of the chapters focus on kind of one aspect, whether it's the hormones or the, the nerves or the vascular, but pretty much all of those practices affect the other two categories as well. But, you know, if we talk about the short term, the, the food we eat even affects our testosterone and our sex hormones if immediately following a meal. So, for example, you eat a high sugar meal, your testosterone will sharply decline right after. So, if you're having a date night with your partner, the last thing you want to do is have a really fatty meal. It's going to, first of all, it's going to dump your testosterone. And secondly, it will stiffen your blood vessels immediately, you know, within the couple hours following eating. So, something like salmon, the high omega 3 fats actually have the opposite effect on blood vessels. So, they actually make them more elastic following eating. Another thing that dumps testosterone is a high sugar meal. So the sugary sweets, we'll leave those aside even for a date night. You know, I mean, in the long term, they disrupt hormones, but even in the short term, they disrupt hormones. So if you're going to have a night with your partner, avoid something really sweet and really fatty and instead have some of the other things that we'll talk about that improve blood flow in the short and long term.
0: Okay. That's yeah. So already we're getting some great advice here. So for date night, and I think this is probably common for a lot of people might be that rich, high fat meal followed by a sumptuous sugar filled dessert, two things that are not going to serve us that evening on that date night. So thanks for sharing that. And just to talk a little bit more on the fat, cause you had mentioned, you know, a piece of salmon might be a, a good choice. And the reason being it's got that high concentration of omega three fatty acids, can you talk a little bit about the difference between good fat and bad fat, so to speak, and its role on sexual health and sexual function?
1: Sure. So in general, total fat in general will have an effect on blood vessels, regardless, according to the research, regardless of the source. If you're having too high of fat, even if it's coming from good fats like nuts and avocados and things like that, you still will have some vascular effects that, that are undesirable for sex. However, those are better, and we definitely want to include those in our diet. The worst fats for your blood vessels are, of course, the trans fats, and the worst fats are the ones that are the most processed. Even oils are very um, dense fats that that aren't great for blood vessels. Your best source of fats, again, are going to be something like your omega-3 rich fats, your... Um, PUFAs and your MUFAs, you know, so your monounsaturated fatty acids, your polyunsaturated fatty acids, those in research have a better effect on the vascular system.
0: I think that for a lot of us, a date night often involves going out to a restaurant, right? Where yep. our chances are pretty low of our food not being prepared with vegetable oils, right? So we'll get around to talking about what we should eat for a date night, but for now let's let's move on. Let's move on from hormones and understanding that hormones and this nervous system and vascular system and all these things are they're not independent of one another. They're they're working in concert, just like you had mentioned your hormones. It's not so much of any one hormone we think testosterone and estrogen typically when we think sexual health and function, but it's. I think you called it a symphony of hormonal balance. And we certainly want to eat for that balance, both short-term and long-term. In terms of the nervous system, you had written that as we age, our nerve impulses, they grow weaker and slower, and they take longer to respond to stimuli. And what this means for sex is that the communication between the genitals, the spinal cord, and the brain is not as good, which can result in less arousal and less pleasure. And for those of us folks over 50, if we eat more antioxidants and omega-3s, we can improve some of that nerve conduction. Is that is that a fair way of saying that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That The damage that happens, so it's not just where, you know, it's just not just aging. What it is, is oxidative stress. It's all of that accumulated oxidative stress from our lifestyle, from our diets, the way that we treat our bodies, our exposure to environmental toxins, it all causes oxidative stress on our nerves and slows them down. So there's been lots of research showing that antioxidants will, in fact, speed up nerve conduction. So it's probably the best thing you can do to make your genitals more sensitive to your partner's touch.
0: Okay, so now, now we're getting somewhere. Okay, we all want that. What are some good examples of healthy antioxidants? What foods should we be eating to get some of these antioxidants into us?
1: Well, of course, lots of fresh fruits and vegetables. Berries are a great source. Leaves are a great source. One of my favorite foods for antioxidants are mushrooms. In fact, I wrote a whole chapter on mushrooms because I love them. They're kind of amazing, miraculous health food. and They're so fascinating, the way that they operate on the body. They have tons of antioxidants. Antioxidants are gonna help that whole trifecta of great sex. They help everything. And also, the coolest thing about mushrooms is this. There is a lot of research that's, you know, modernly, we've focused our research efforts more and more on the microbiome and just how much it affects every aspect of health. This balance, this delicate balance of microbes in our digestive tract and of course we have these microbiomes throughout our body. We have a microbiome on our skin and our ears on you know our nasal passage and our, our digestive tract. So we see in research that this microbiome affects everything. It even affects your risk of cardiovascular disease. There was one study for example that showed that you can actually, if we have a a group of mice that's at high risk of cardiovascular disease, we can actually transfer that risk by just transferring their feces into a new group of rats. Those new group of rats, their digestive tract is then populated with these microbes that will increase their risk of cardiovascular disease. So this microbiome, it's huge. And the research that I saw, there are loads of studies on this too, showing that The benefit of mushrooms is they actually act on the microbiome, improving the diversity of the microbiome and improving the populations of beneficial bacteria and reducing populations of pathogenic bacteria, which is so amazing. And each mushroom has a different action and it affects different microbes in in the digestive tract. So it's so cool. It's fascinating. And then on top of it, they have all these other benefits as well. So mushrooms are my favorite antioxidant.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I I certainly wanted to ask you about mushrooms because you do. You have a whole chapter on it. And some folks may not know that mushrooms actually are not plants. They're clearly not animals. They're their own sort of kingdom. So what are a few of your favorite mushrooms?
1: Well, let's see. Okay, I just actually made a... My mom was sick and I made a soup for her. What I made sure that I included was oyster mushrooms. It's one of my favorites. But even white button mushrooms improve the diversity of the microbiome, the cheapest ones, you know, the cheap grocery store mushrooms. But I like, I like oyster mushrooms because they're one of the few foods that actually has um, vitamin D in it, you know. So there's some new research on that. That's not typically listed as one of their nutritional benefits, but there's new research showing that they do have vitamin D. And so I made my mom a soup. That had, you know, some oyster mushrooms in it. It had some white mushrooms, and that you know, they have that immune benefit as well as some of the other things. And then my favorite fun mushroom is chaga. Chaga is so delicious, and it's fun, and it's you know, I just love to have it. It's actually a fungus that grows inside the bark of birch trees and also some other trees. I harvest it here in and where I live sometimes and it's these big woody chunks it doesn't actually look like a mushroom it looks like these like black and like woody chunks with this black substance on it it was used as a coffee substitute in world war ii because it has this delicious vanilla flavor you boil it and it it extracts this you know caramel colored it looks like coffee it looks about the same the same color as coffee has a nice vanilla aroma and what I like to do with it is, I either put a little spoon of honey in there, or I'll throw some fennel, some cinnamon, some cardamom, and some other spices in there, some cloves maybe, and I whisk it up with some honey and maybe some almond milk or something. And I have it either iced if it's in the summer or hot in the winter as a nice a chai latte.
0: If I'm not mistaken, that sounds familiar. I think that recipe's in your book. Is that right? It is. That yep, yep, mushroom yeah. Mushroom latte. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So certainly. Oyster mushrooms are something that are fairly accessible. I know that you can go online and buy a kit and grow your own. So, and they're probably in some of your local grocery stores, certainly button mushrooms. When we start getting into things like chaga and cordyceps and some of these other more exotic ones, uh, how does one pre- go about procuring or finding these? Is that, uh, that's part A. And then part B is I know that, for example, some of these mushrooms now, there's this in the, kind of the health and wellness space, these things are being powdered and sold as supplements. Is that a good option for somebody who doesn't have a local resource to get some of these mushrooms fresh?
1: So the best way to get these, I usually get them through Etsy. You can get them through Amazon too, but they're a little bit more expensive and they're, you know, it's like a company that makes them. But if you get them on Etsy, a lot of times there are people who forage them wild and then they package them at like small time, small scale operations and you can get them at a better price, and they're really good quality chaga as well. It's that the cool thing about chaga is that you can reuse it. So you boil up these things, and then you save the chunks, and you can reuse them like five, six, seven times. It just takes a little longer to boil them every single time. So that's what I would get them. They they do have supplements, and um, I would say some some of the supplements are good. One of the mushroom companies that I that I order from in my practice is Host Defense. They have a really high quality product for supplements of mushrooms, and I think they are. I think they are good. They can be good. I always like to get things from food most, just because a lot of times you're getting the maximum profile of what that species that organism has to offer.
0: Yeah, that's well said, and 100% agree. Now you had mentioned, was it post defense?
1: Host host defense. Yeah. Host
0: defense. Okay. Yep. And I'll drop that in the show notes for anybody who wants to take a look at that. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about hormones, what we should and should not eat probably there for optimizing our hormones for great sex. We've talked a little bit about the nervous system, about antioxidants, the criticality of that on our nervous system and how mushrooms can be our best friends in that area. Certainly want to encourage folks to explore some of that. That leaves us with our vascular system. So we know that damaged blood vessels, constricted blood vessels, just don't deliver blood flow very well. And they don't deliver blood, I suppose, to sexual organs as well. What we want is this rich nutrient, this nutrient-rich blood to get to the right place at the right time, I suppose, in terms of of a sexual response. Talk to us a little bit about our vascular system and, again, what we should and should not eat to optimize vascular health.
1: Sure. So, first of all, let me tell you that blood flow, we all know that it's important for male sexual health and for strong erections, but what most people don't realize is that it's equally important for female sexual function and sexual pleasure. Lubrication comes following blood flow, so it's actually a byproduct of blood flow. And also clitoral sensitivity and pleasure actually do improve with better blood flow for females. So that's important. Of course, the cruel joke that nature has played on human beings is this. The blood vessels to the clitoris and to the penis are among the smallest in the body. So any plaque accumulation shows up there first. In fact, erectile dysfunction is one of the first signs of cardiovascular disease. So those get clogged first. And what happens is there's less blood flow. One of the few foods that has actually been shown to reverse plaque accumulation to a certain degree, you know, so cardiovascular disease is something that's considered to be progressive and irreversible, but they're actually finding modernly that leaves. There are actually some doctors treating patients for type 2 diabetes and for cardiovascular disease with a plant-based diet, and they are giving them loads and loads of leaves every day and seeing some reversal in plaque accumulation. So especially if you're early on in the game, you know, where, where you're still having, you know, where you still have sexual function, maybe it's, maybe it's not as good as it was before, and you're catching it early, you could get some really great benefit from eating a lot of leaves. And that would be like a, a nice leafy green salad every single day. The foods that I would say would be best for vascular health and for improving blood flow um, to the genitals and and therefore the sexual benefit of that would be changing our lunchtime routine to being a salad and maybe a baked yam or some squash every single day. And there are a couple of reasons for that. The first of which is that leaves are naturally high in nitrates and this promotes vascular health. They're also high in tons of minerals that are important for vascular health, as well as they have zinc, which again, we talked about how it reduces cortisol. And also they have these micronutrients, which reduce inflammation and just, you know, overall they're, they're good for vascular health. So that's number one. Number two are potassium rich foods like baked potato with the skins on it, baked yam with the skins, squash. There's actually not a long list of high potassium foods. So we're talking about an orange, a banana, a mango. Again, not a long list and each of these has about 20% of the RDA. So the reason for this is this, humans used to take in about 10 times as much potassium in our diets as sodium. Now, modernly, we take in about 10 times as much sodium as potassium. And this is wreaking havoc on our blood vessels. Potassium softens this delicate inner lining of blood vessels, so it improves the elasticity of them. And it also counteracts some of the stiffening effects of sodium. The worst part about that is that when we take in excess sodium, our bodies deal with it in part by flushing potassium. So it even further interferes with our potassium. So uh, having a nice potassium source, you know, have a couple of those fruits and vegetables that we mentioned every day and that combined with then the, the other sources of lesser sources of potassium and you can get a decent amount along with kind of trying to keep your salt low, if that makes sense.
0: No, it certainly does. And to your point, I think you, you had mentioned that it's probably ancestrally we were biologically built for a 1 to 10 ratio of sodium to potassium, if I heard that right. But unfortunately, in our modern world, that's probably reversed. Now it's more of a, a a ten to one sodium to potassium. And going back to our example of date night, often is at a restaurant. I know that when we cook here at home, there's not big salt users, and it's amazing. Some restaurants, when you go out, the biggest flavor profile and pretty much anything you order is salt. We we just salt everything as Westerners and. It's also fascinating that you mentioned that the smallest blood vessels are those leading to our genitals, and they're the first to to start to get the ill effects of this constriction. Okay, so keeping kind of on that mineral and micronutrient train for just a minute, talk to us a little bit more about some of these other minerals i know that in the book you go through and you talk a lot about i think some of the big ones would be magnesium zinc certainly is one that comes to mind calcium and in addition to the sodium and potassium
1: yeah so when all of these minerals they're involved in every process of the body so from you know every time a nerve fires you're utilizing all of these minerals these major minerals calcium magnesium sodium potassium And so nerve conduction, of course, relies on these minerals and our bodies, while they always struggle you know they strive to maintain this perfect balance of minerals when you're not getting enough of them in your diet it it absolutely affects your health so i've talked to people and they've said oh well you know what not having enough potassium doesn't matter because your body maintains these precise levels of sodium and potassium and it just flushes out all the excess sodium so you're fine and with other minerals all of these the all of these minerals if our bodies do still maintain function, even at suboptimal levels of these minerals, but it certainly still affects our health. It definitely affects our vascular health, our nerve health, our hormonal health. It affects everything. And so I I should say, though, that I I personally feel like the best way to get these minerals is through diet. I think it's really hard to kind of play God and figure out or play Mother Nature And take supplements that are in these optimal ratios. All these minerals compete with one another. So calcium can interfere with iron absorption. Magnesium can interfere with um, calcium absorption. You know, zinc can interfere with magnesium absorption. They all, they all compete for binding sites in the body. And when you load up on one of them, you can inadvertently give yourself a deficiency in another. So trying to play the supplement route with um, minerals can be tricky. I mean, Having said that, a lot of us, many of us don't get enough of these minerals in our diets, and so you know, so if somebody wanted to supplement can take a multimineral, it, it should be more broad and balanced, though, if you're gonna do that because these minerals, it's basically this complex sequence of chemical reactions involving all of these all of these minerals. You know that's how our body operates every time our heart contracts, when even you know peristalsis, the muscular contractions that move food from one end. To the other they all rely on these on these minerals just like okay so we have these distinct pieces you know we have the the vascular system the nervous system and the hormonal balance but of course every substance produced by the body is controlled by our nervous system ultimately so they're all kind of mutually influential and every nerve contraction depends on this adequate balance of minerals
0: yeah, and I I love how you bring up the the topic of supplementation and how individual supplementation which is it fits our culture right. We have this instant gratification kind of mentality. But clearly getting our micronutrients, minerals, vitamins, etc through whole foods would be the preferable way and then if there's for some reason you can't get that working with your practitioner to come up with a supplementation plan. And I think you also brought up a great point when you talked about the body and uh, you were describing mineral balance, how the body will maintain function, but you made the distinction between functioning, just getting by and not shutting down versus optimal health. And that's really what your book is about. It's about optimal health. It's about, you didn't call it just having sex. You you called it having great sex, which means that you're going to have to have this optimal great diet, right? You're going to have to have all of these systems, this hormonal system, this nervous system, this vascular system, all firing together to work optimally. So I, I yeah, I love all of that. Being a bit of a nutrition nerd myself, I love it. <laughs> so Christine, let's switch gears just for a minute. You've got another section of your book, for lack of a better Word, I'll call them aphrodisiacs, right? So most people out there probably thinking, well, okay, oysters, they've got a reputation, ginseng, thats you've got a reputation there. Talk to us a little bit about, since you we, we brought up supplementation, talk to us about, quote unquote, aphrodisiacs. What are some good ones maybe and what are some bad ones? And maybe, again, that distinction between buying that in a pill versus buying that Food in a store.
1: Sure. So some of the some of the herbal supplements are typically on the stronger end of the aphrodisiacs. That the ones that actually work. All the aphrodisiacs that I looked at in the book, I only included ones that had some kind of research to support their efficacy. Most of them didn't have a lot of research. It was usually just like a two or three studies. So it's not real strong evidence but they, a lot of them have been used throughout the ages as aphrodisiacs. And yeah, on the more mild end, you have the culinary aphrodisiacs, but some of them were actually shown in research to have a quite immediate effect, like cloves. Cloves; those who used cloves had reported more sexual satisfaction and arousal response, for example. So that one actually had a kind of a short-term immediate effect. One of the more studied aphrodisiacs, culinary aphrodisiacs is saffron. That is the one that I found the most research on. And that's been used <laughs> since Cleopatra, you know, Cleopatra used to put like a half a cup of saffron, which is so much considering the fact that it's, you know, the stamen of this crocus plant. So it's so such a tiny part of it that you have to pick so many of them to get a half a cup. It's, it's unreal and that's why it's so expensive but she used to put a half a cup of it in her baths to prepare for her lovers, and so it's been used for a really long time. It's still used, and there's there are plenty of studies to show that it increases libido. People have more sex with saffron, and it had such a reputation that people were, <laughs> were advised against eating, don't eat any saffron dishes or, you know, any rice if you travel to the Middle East, because you're going to get horny, and then <laughs> you're going to do something that you regret so some of the the herbal ones so spanish fly actually it's not herbal it's um, animal it's the blister beetle and it's basically mashed up blister beetles unfortunately the problem with it is that it can be dangerous it does work I mean it basically it irritates the the urinogenital tract so much that you get a lot of blood flow to the area so it will lead to stronger erection for guys and and more blood flow for women However, the amount that you need to have an effective dose is dangerously close to the amount that's a toxic dose. And for that reason, lots of people throughout history have died using it. So it's not, it's not one that I would recommend for sure. Then there's things like horny goat weed that has some research to support its use. It's an herbal, it's an herbal supplement. And so I would recommend if anybody's interested in trying those that they consult um, somebody who knows herbs, you know, somebody who may have have a degree in it. You know, most acupuncturists, a lot of acupuncturists have also studied traditional Chinese herbal medicine as well.
0: Okay. Yeah. that's So that's fascinating. You make a distinction between culinary aphrodisiacs and herbal aphrodisiacs. And until I encountered your book, I never, I, I mean, I know saffron's expensive. Now I know why. And, and cloves, those are two that probably, if you said quick, name a couple aphrodisiacs, Most folks, I'm guessing, would not guess those. And yet there they are kind of at the top of your list. And I think we've all probably heard of Spanish fly. And again, until I I read your book, I had no idea what it really was, nor did I know that the effective dose was dangerously close to the toxic dose. So probably one to to stay away from. There is some gems to be mined there, right? In that space, again, of food and some foods having some short-term effects as well as long-term Optimal health effects, right?
1: yep, yeah, absolutely, and they're fun, you know they're fun to play with you know when you're making dinner and just trying to incorporate as many of these aphrodisiacs as possible the the stories were really fun too the the stories behind a lot of the aphrodisiacs and their use were were fun as well,
0: and you have a lot of those in your book and you're right it's it's fun to kind of read some of the history of these things and even some of the wars that were fought over <laughs> over some of yeah, these things, yeah, they're very absolutely. interesting, all right, well, we've mentioned your book a couple times and one thing that struck me is I've, I've read through the book. We have the very straightforward. This is what you should and shouldn't eat and why for great sex. But you take a very holistic approach to sex. And in addition to diet, you talk about the importance of things like exercise, sleep. And of course, the biggest turn on of all is. Being kind and nice to one another. You even have some worksheets in there for couples to increase a sexual awareness of each other. I think we've pretty well covered why diet is critical for great sex, but talk about some of these other more holistic lifestyle pieces.
1: Sure. So in Chinese medicine, there's no distinction made between the psychological, the emotional, and the physical. We treat all at the same time and they're all interconnected, you know. So emotions are can both be a symptom of and a cause of disease or of health and you know having a history as as a counselor as i do i it was something that i really wanted to include because in our culture we're more self-centered than ever than we ever have been in the past and and we're more self-centered than other cultures in comparison so when we think so much about ourselves, it's really difficult to have enjoyment in life period, not just in sex. This this focus on ourselves and our own pleasure and our own happiness and our own comfort and and all of these things, it really takes the beautiful essence of life out of the equation and that's you know our what we have to give. It's just like what JFK said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And it's the same concept, ask not what your partner can do for you, but what you can do for your partner. And there's truly so much joy in giving and to have a fully enjoyable sexual experience, we must think of our partner's pleasure just as much as we think of our own. And for that reason, I talked a little bit about that in the book about kindness And also about specific techniques, you know, many of us, maybe we want to please our partner, we want to focus on their pleasure, but we don't have the tools in the technique, you know, and maybe some people are afraid to ask. So I have a whole chapter on male oral sex and female oral sex and just very clear tutorial on on that.
0: Yeah, you can kind of think of the book as being your toolbox for great sex, right? With the cornerstone being Diet. Let's get that cleaned up and dialed in. That's going to make a huge impact. But you have other knobs and levers, and certainly things like kindness and being aware of your partner and your partner's needs, wishes, desires, etc. Learning to get pleasure from giving. Certainly, there's there's great joy in that. And like you said, even just some some techniques that people may not be aware of. So you you do you spell all that out incredibly well. So let's build a date night menu. Let's let's do that. In fact, if you don't mind, start with, with a breakfast. If we if we got a big date night coming up and we're excited, we want to have great sex, which we have for breakfast. Let's do an example menu for, throughout the day.
1: Sure. Okay. So let me just give you some overarching principles for your day. And that's going to be you're going to want to try to keep your fats low and keep your refined sugars low. You don't want to give yourself uh, big spike in glucose because that will reduce testosterone. So you would, you we want to eat foods that will improve blood flow and not eat foods that tank testosterone. There's not much evidence, and believe me, I've tried to find evidence on foods that actually have an immediate impact on nerve conduction velocity, and I haven't found any so so that's not in that date night picture it is in your overall you know long-term health health picture so a good breakfast is going to be something like berries and if you want to throw in some omega-3 maybe some berries and some walnuts is a good choice because berries are going to do two things the berries have this certain type of antioxidant called polyphenols and polyphenols were shown to improve blood flow within a couple hours of eating it so that would be a good breakfast choice. Most of our, you know, date night efforts do focus on like a couple couple hours prior to sex. So that's where the research lies is in this kind of two hour window. So if you're gonna have a um, afternoon delight, then yeah, have a have a nice berry and walnut breakfast. If you're gonna have you know, post lunch Our lunch will be maybe a big, huge, green, leafy salad because the salad, it has naturally occurring nitrates, which will immediately have a dilate, you know, dilate blood vessels. And you'll also get the benefit of having some potassium in there. And so you have this immediate benefit on the elasticity of your blood vessels from a salad. And then your baked potato or your baked yam, again, has been shown in research to improve arterial function within a couple hours of eating it. So for, for dinner, what I would say is this. If you want, let's say you want to really get into a nice culinary adventure for your date night menu. We might start with, I have a recipe for this in my book. It's called sex juice. And it's, you can juice either beets or celery. Both of them are really high in, in dietary nitrates. So they'll dilate your blood vessels. That actually, athletes use that a lot to you know as like you know to improve performance and so you'll start off with something like that then for your main course you might have something like roasted acorn squash and you can put some of those aphrodisiac spices on it you can put some cloves on it or some cinnamon some nu- oh, nutmeg is another aphrodisiac spice throw some of that on there have a nice leafy green salad with it and you can throw some, you can make some dressing. Oh, there's lots of dressing, aphrodisiac dressings that you can make. One of them, one of my favorites is this. You chop up some onions, you squirt some lime juice on it, lemon or lime juice on it. And you put a huge handful of dill and pepper in it. Not too much salt, because again, the salt stiffens your blood vessels. But it's a really delicious, um, delicious dressing. And dill is another aphrodisiac. So the, the other one is vitamin C. You know, so you get that squirt of the lime Vitamin a high vitamin C meal or foods were shown to improve mood. Not in, it, it doesn't make you horny, but it might improve your mood. It improves mood, and that you know is going to make you more more responsive to just being aroused, that sort of thing. So you squirt your lime juice on there. Then you might have some maybe steamed beets or or other steamed vegetable. And the, the protein, if you're plant-based, again, you might do something like walnuts. If you do eat animal products, then you might want to do something like wild salmon, which, again, is going to have your omega-3s, and that will improve vascular elasticity within a couple hours of eating it. And then for dessert, instead of a sugary snack you know, or a sugary dessert, you're going to have something like maybe raspberries with mango or you know, and you could even have a few walnuts on top, that sort of thing. It's actually really good. It tastes really good. It's a nice dessert. The thing about it is got to train your body. The research that I saw was this. Because of how much fat and sugar we eat, we've rewired our brains to require more of it before it'll release dopamine. And dopamine means pleasure. It means this is the pleasure we get out of food. So... When you eat healthy for a couple weeks and reduce the fat and the sugar, it rewires your brain to actually get pleasure out of healthier foods. So that's it in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And I, that mirrors my experience in terms of that last part where you're talking about rewiring your brain as I went on my own personal nutritional journey as I cleaned up my diet I've made no secret that I <laughs> I have to force myself to eat vegetables and certainly in the beginning that was true I I, just, I don't crave vegetables but as I ate healthier and cleaner I felt better and that in itself can motivate myself to keep continuing but you're right I became more hardwired so that I'm less and less desiring this high fat or for me the the salty snacks were the really tough one to let go of less the sugar that lasted a short amount of time the high fat that it, it's kind of in the middle, but those salty things I, I did crave for a while and it took a while to rewire my body. So thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing the ideas for a date night, um, breakfast, lunch, and a dinner. So folks, if they really want to explore that, you have a lot of great recipes in your book. And again, that book is Diet for Great Sex, Food for Male and Female Sexual Health by Christine Delosier. So Christine, what's what's next for you? What's on the horizon?
1: Well, I'm just promoting my book right now. And so I've been so obsessed with my book that um, I haven't I haven't really thought much beyond that. You know, I'm still treating patients in private practice, promoting my book. And the great thing is I've got this nice tool now that I can share with my patients when they come in. So I can actually give them the book and say, here, eat like this, you know, that'll support our treatment goals. So, yeah, yeah, that's about that's about it.
0: OK, great. And when did the book come out? October. Okay, yeah. So, and we're recording this now in in March of 2021, so it's just a few months old, and it's available basically anywhere, right? I I grabbed it on Amazon, so your favorite bookseller, you you can get that. And I would personally highly recommend anybody who's a into nutrition to grab this, and certainly anybody, especially this over fifty crowd that's looking to optimize your sexual health, your sexual experience. This is a great resource. Highly recommend. So, Christine, before we go, where would you like people to connect with you? What's the best way for them to, to reach out?
1: Sure. Um, you can reach me on dietforgreatsex.com, or I'm also on social media under Diet for Great Sex.
0: Okay, that's that's pretty easy to remember. Well, Christine, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of your wisdom with us. I had a great time. I really enjoyed reading the book, really enjoyed talking with you. And I wish you all the best in all your future endeavors.
1: Thank you so much, Kevin. That was, that was a lot of fun.
0: Well, that's our show for today, folks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell your friends and please consider subscribing, giving us a five-star review. All the show notes and much more are available at our website at silver-edge.com at silver-edge.com. So until next time, stay strong.